Amen. It's a blessing to worship with you, family. Uh, I am so, so thankful to get to be with you on a Sunday morning, get to be worshiping our Lord, and I just have to add my, my thanks to, to Jerry's and Zach's. Um, I am, I'm so thankful for the mothers and the spiritual mothers that I've, I've been blessed by here. I'm, I'm thankful for you, Christy. I'm thankful for you, Kay. Jan, thank you. Theta, it's been a great blessing. Millie, what a blessing the Lord has given us in women of God. Uh, I'm thankful for the women in my family. Thank you, Meredith. Thank you, Jeannie. Thanks to my mom. It's, it's sort of humbling to think about how generous God is to us. But I think if we can pause and look at how generous God is in the things that we can see, we can start to grasp how generous he is in the unseen. Uh, we're in 1 Peter. We're in 1 Peter 2 today. But uh, I want you to remember, you can be turning there, I want you to remember that 1 Peter was a letter. It was written from Peter to the believers in Asia Minor. And that uh, and originally, they didn't all have a copy. There was, there was a copy. And actually, it wouldn't have mattered if there were a bunch of copies because most of them couldn't read. Um, and so we get this treasure of like pouring over God's word, which is an amazing blessing, just a testimony to God's kindness to us. But remember, they would have heard the entire thing. So don't, don't forget, and I want to take you sort of through, in case, in case you've forgotten or in case you haven't been here, just a few passages from uh, chapter 1 to remind you sort of where Peter is going here. So uh, let's start with verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Peter's writing to fellow believers, people who have experienced this hope, and he wants to remind them this living hope, it's eternal. It's never going to perish or fade. But in light of that, he calls us to holiness. Just a little context um, for this next piece that I'm going to put up. In verse 14, he says, because you're children, don't conform to the evil desires of this world, but conform to the word of God. God says, be holy because I am holy. That's, that's a, big, a big word in 1 Peter. To be holy is to be set apart for something special, to be made pure for something special. In the Old Testament, they'd think about, you know, uh, cleansing something with fire or with blood. But, but we, as New Testament believers, being holy, we are set apart, not in order to be accepted by God, but because we're children, because we get to participate in this beautiful thing the Lord is doing, we are asked to be holy, to be purified for something special. That's the call. And then uh, chapter 1 sort of ends up with, with this sort of culmination. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. So we've been redeemed. Again, it's for the long term. It's for eternity. 
And it's through the Word of God. It's, it's through God's written Word, and it's through the living Word, Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed through the Word of God. And so it's in that context that we jump into chapter 2. Uh, if you notice, the first word in chapter 2 is therefore. So it's really important that you realize why this is happening. This is not in order to be a son or daughter of God. This is because you have been redeemed, because you have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, because the Word of God has had an effect in your life. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to, him, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. Ah, oh, those are wonderful words. Peter is helping us to remember what it's like to experience the goodness of God, to experience who we were made to be. I titled this, Be Who You Were Made to Be. You've been brought out of darkness, and in some ways, Peter is unpacking that phrase, be holy, be special, in order that you can participate with what God is doing. So we're going to go back through, we're going to spend a little time and reflect and, and allow the, the Spirit to encourage, allow the Spirit to convict, um, but spend some time in this passage. So let's start again at verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Um, I, I think the first time I, I read that, what, what hit me was how extreme it is. All, three times there's sort of this everything, all malice, all deceit, slander of every kind. Peter isn't going for the 50% here. He's not going for what will get you through the test. I remember... It's Mother's Day, so we're supposed to tell mother's stories. I remember in eighth grade, I was a good student. My dad was an English teacher, so I did that English thing. Didn't like it. Um, I remember writing a, an English paper at the kitchen table um, in eighth grade, and my mom looking over my shoulder and saying, uh, that's poorly written. 
And I look at my mom, I'm like, I, I didn't deny it, but I'm getting an A. And she says, I don't care. It's poorly written. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like the standard is not, you know, sort of can you get by with this worldly cutoff? Does, does the guy at work in the cubicle next to you sort of think you're doing pretty well? The standard is holiness. The standard is the Lord wants you to be pure. He wants you to get rid of all deceit. Not some, not most of it, all of it. And he wants that for your good. He doesn't want that to to accept you. He's already accepted you. He's already called you children. But he wants this for your good. And we'll see more. He wants this so that you can participate with him in the good things that he's doing here. Something else I think you ought to notice about this list. It's interesting that all, all of these things sort of have to do with our interactions with other people. Um, that he's calling us to an interaction with other people. So malice would be, I guess you have malice towards somebody. You deceive, right? You're, you're trying to deceive somebody else. Hypocrisy, trying to appear to somebody else as you're not. Envy, obviously somebody else. And slander, somebody else. So there are, there are lots of sins you could put on this list that weren't with other people. You know, you could have sort of pride, self-centeredness. But Peter is particularly concerned here with Sin that would get in the way of us being the body of Christ. With us being, as you saw, a kingdom of priests. A group that together represents the Lord. I want to pause here and say, the way that the Lord calls us to holiness is by His Spirit. So if what's happening here is, I'm reading this list, but slander is the word that the Lord is bringing you back to, don't miss that. You know, it says in Scripture, it is His kindness that brings us to repentance. The Lord brings a conviction of sin that is good, that is for making us right with Him, for restoring us. And that's not something to be avoided. But I want to make just a, a little bit of distinction about what does the conviction of the Holy Spirit look like versus the condemnation of the evil one? Because there is, there is an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So the conviction of the Holy Spirit usually looks like this. It's conviction of specific sin, and it's always for the redemption of the believer so that the believer can participate more fully in what God's doing. So... If, if what you're struggling with is envy and the Lord brings to mind envy that needs to be repented of, needs to be turned from, needs, needs to be let go of so that you can be free to enjoy the bounty, the goodness of our generous God, that's usually what conviction of sin looks like. The intent is not so you can wallow in, God, I'm such a hypocrite, right? The goal is to let go of it. Christ has already paid for it. It's been paid for. The goal is to let it go quickly so that you can enjoy this right relationship with the Lord versus this condemnation that the enemy, you know, if, if what you're hearing in this list is you're hopeless, you know, the guy, you know, you're, you're beyond, you'll never make it. 
This, this is not how the conviction of sin works, because essentially what that causes you to do is it causes you to turn inward. If you're hopeless, you're focused on you, right? And you're not focused on being redeemed. And so um, accusations, if you're hearing that, I, I sincerely don't believe that's from the Lord. The Lord has redeemed you. He has all power to fix the minutest error, because he's perfect and he's all-powerful. So there's, there's a distinction between this, this sort of self-focusing, overwhelming, unfixable accusation. Those voices need to be silenced and true conviction of sin where the intent is to redeem the believer. Pay attention to that. Repent quickly because the Lord doesn't want you to wallow there. He wants you to be right so you can participate in the rest of this beautiful opportunity that he's talking about here. So that's what we're happening. He, that's what's happening here. Um, I, I sort of tried to come up with a, a title here, um, and the the title that I came up with is "Rid Yourselves of Unlove." Right? If the Christian life is about love, I also have an image there because people remember images better than um, better than words. What, why read yourself of unlove? Because it's really hard when you're feeling like that to remember the goodness of God and to remember how much God loves your brother and sister. It's really hard when you're there to remember the goodness of God. We're letting go of slander. We're letting go of envy so that we can be filled with what God wants us to be filled with. Um, now, I think this is a, a, an important just sort of reality Getting rid of something is only effective when you replace it, right? So if I say, um, mm, you know, uh, think about that taste of Skittles. Oh, wait, don't think about it. Don't think about Skittles. Don't think about mm, that lime and that sugar, right? I mean, it's going to be hard to not think about Skittles and that taste. You know that really, you know that intense taste of Skittles. Don't, 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 you know. Basically, it's really hard to not think about something unless I replace it with, you know, I start thinking about that donut that I ate this morning. Mmm, soft, buttery, sugary. All of a sudden, I'm not thinking about those Skittles anymore, right? And that's what God calls us to here. How do you get rid of these things? Well, let's move on to the next verse. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let go of that because you're supposed to be craving something, something really, really good, pure spiritual milk. Now this is, this is a, a metaphor for the word of God, that, that redemption that the Lord is working, that if you, if you flip back, remember this was one letter, in verses 22 and 23, of chapter 1. He's talking about that word of God that flows out. We're supposed to be craving that. And I think Peter uses a lot of imagery here. And I think it's important to sort of take a moment and just to sort of think about why that image? Why a newborn baby craving pure spiritual milk? So I've got another image here for you. It's Mother's Day, so this is a special image. This is Ellie Grace Pelham. And this is her first Sunday at Grace. She's six weeks old today. So congratulations, Kelsey and Justin. What a blessed baby. 
that baby, I think part of what we're supposed to remember is, is, is who we're supposed to be. Like newborn babies. This is how the Lord sees us. He doesn't see us as flawed and broken. He sees us as made flawless in the light of his son's redemption. So that's the first part of this image you should get. Next, think about what a baby does. A baby is single-purposed. I've got a two-month-old at home. And (laughs) when he gets hungry, that's the only thing, right? There is nothing else that will satisfy. And, And I think... I don't think it's too much of a stretch to think about how a baby, because all of Peter's hearers would know this, a baby doesn't just want nourishment. Craving that new milk is partly about relationship. If that infant gets hurt, they want a nurse. They want that relationship, that intimacy. It's not just receiving this sort of sterile word from God. Ah, now I have the information and I am an Autobot. It's about a relationship. It's about a delight of feeling loved by the Lord, cared for him. That's why he's given us this living word. Come to the source. Come to the source of life and be changed. Be renewed. Uh, I think it's, it's interesting to note uh, one commentary I read said that, um, that this was likely alluding to Psalm 34 that says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. This is a consistent theme through Scripture, that we're supposed to be nourished by the Lord, right? In some sense, this is what the Lord's table is about, being nourished by the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I am the bread of life when he comes. One of my favorite Scriptures in the whole Bible is Isaiah 55. I just, I just love it. It says, come all who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy. Ah, it's wonderful to have a baby. Yes, yes. Can we be like babies? Can we be hungry like that? Um, But I lost my place. Uh, (laughs) It's worth it. It's worth it to enjoy that newness of life. Can you feel that newness of life that we're being called into? We're supposed to be hungry Um, Isaiah 55 says, why spend money on what is not bread, your labor on what does not satisfy? I mean, can you see that? That's what we're so prone to do. We're supposed, you know, we can feed on our own envy. We can tell ourselves, you know, God, you know, this or that. It's not going to satisfy. Why spend your energy on that? We have this pure spiritual milk. And then in, in Isaiah 55, it says this, Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Notice the order there. Choose to eat what is good. Choose what is good, and then your soul will delight in the richest affair. So I like Skittles. Uh, I can't tell a lie. I like Skittles. They're really good. But Skittles kind of deaden your taste buds. I don't know if you've noticed that. Um, so, you know, I, I have been known to eat, you know, maybe four packs of Skittles at a time. Anyway, you know, all you want, all your taste buds cry out for that at that point is more Skittles, right? Um, if, if, you are, if, if you were indulging in the slander, in the envy, in, in the things of unholiness, your body is not going to be 
craving that spiritual milk. Take that spiritual milk. Eat what is good, and that causes our souls to delight in the richest affair. Choose what is pure. Choose what is holy. And your soul will recognize that is good. It will recognize that life comes out of that because it really is extremely good. Okay, so on to verses 4 and 5. It says, as you come to him, notice it's not, he's talking to believers, so um, he's not saying uh, you need to come to Jesus still, but he's saying even though you've already given yourself to Jesus, a part of the believing life is continually coming to the source, right? Heaven help us, a baby doesn't need to nurse just once, right? (laughs) It's four times a night to start with, right? You need to continually come to the source, And then he moves to a a different metaphor that he sticks with for a while. The living stone. Think of Jesus as a living stone. So why a living stone? Well, Jesus is weighty. Jesus is solid. You know, somehow you have to come to grips with a stone. And yet, Jesus is full of life. It's a paradox. He He is bubbling over. He's inviting you into that life. The living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. Jesus was rejected. He was despised, and yet he was chosen by God. He's precious to God. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So here's the beauty of the living stones picture. First, Peter says, Jesus is the living stone, but He's so full of life that he is building us into the exact same thing. He's building us into living stones. We are being redeemed for a purpose, to get to do what he does. And notice he says we're being built together. This isn't something I do by myself. This is something we do together. We get built together into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. That comes back to that word holy, right? Special, pure, set aside for something important, something wonderful. Well, what are priests? Particularly in the first century when this is written, and sort of still today, a priest is the go-between between humanity and God. That's who we are being built into that you and I are invited as we are being made holy, as we come to Jesus, we are being changed to look more and more like Jesus so that we can be the go-between. We can share God's love with humanity that might not be aware of that intense, kind, powerful, cleansing love And we can come to God, come to our Heavenly Father on behalf of people that might not be praying for themselves. We are the go-between. We are a holy priesthood. And we are being built into that more and more. But there's one last piece. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So priests do one more thing. They are the go-between, but they offer sacrifices. And this is another theme that comes all through Scripture. 
You might remember in Romans 12, it says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. In Philippians 2, it talks about our faith is a sacrifice that we offer. In Hebrews 13, it says, we bring a sacrifice of praise. What's the sacrifice that we bring as this kingdom of priests? Um, this sacrifice is ourselves. Isn't it interesting? That's how Jesus did it. That's how he invites us to do it. Jesus was the eternal high priest. And Jesus brought himself the perfect sacrifice. And he invites us into that position where our lives are the living sacrifice. Our lives are that beautiful thing that connects humanity with a loving and holy God. Okay, so on to uh, the picture here. I'm, I'm going for a picture, and, and a living stone was hard. For, for you gemologists, this is Luz Opal. Um, pretty spectacular. Can you imagine, like, digging in your backyard with your kids and coming across this? I mean, a living stone. And, and this is sort of the irony, right? I mean, Jesus Christ is the best thing you and I got going on. The best thing anybody's got going on. Here is somebody all-powerful and righteous who knows how screwed up I am and you are, and he likes you anyway. He wants you to be a part of his family. And ultimately, the question is, you're digging in your backyard, you find that, and you say, am I going to hold on to it? Where am I going to reject it? God is doing something living and lasting. And he invites us to be a part of it. We are invited to be who we were made to be. And, and there really is a choice here. There really is a choice. Let's go on to verse 7. Um, now to you who believe this stone is precious, you should see that stone and you should say, wow, but there's another option. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. There is a choice. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Uh, now, uh, this, this image of a cornerstone, I mean, so when you're building something, you want to sort of start with a, a stone at the corner that's steady, but it's sort of more than that. Um, in reading and preparing, I was reading about uh, temples in that era. Do you know they had cornerstones uh, 69 feet long in one case? So probably from that door to that door. This is one stone, 13 feet wide, 12 foot high. That's a stone. And somehow they built the whole temple around a stone that big, okay? That's what Peter, I think, is coming back to is... You can reject this, but this is the key. You, you know, you don't have the building without that. You can take offense at Jesus Christ because it's a little bit offensive. I mean, I mean, let me just sort of clarify. The message of Jesus Christ dying for your sins is you couldn't do it by yourself. I couldn't do it by myself. I can't be good enough. I can't be holy enough. I can't even 
handle my own emotions, my own behavior, let alone my whole family, let alone the people around me. I need somebody else. I'm absolutely dependent on somebody else. It's kind of offensive to somebody who's used to like doing it themselves. And this is what it says. Jesus is a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And you can put that up there. This is, this is the hard reality. You've heard probably plenty of times if you've been in church, Jesus is good news. Well, he is for people who accept him. <laughs> Jesus is bad news for those who reject him. There is no other way. There is no other way to be as right as you need to be, as I need to be. And you reject him, and you will find yourself stumbling. You will find yourself coming up short. That's where he concludes in verse 8. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. That's hard. That's hard. But that's not where he leaves us. Going on to verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Peter wants you to know how special you are. He wants all believers to know we were chosen, we were cared for, we were loved. You are a chosen people. God says he knows the plans he has for you. But you weren't just chosen for yourselves. God loves you, he enjoys you, but it's more than that. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's the beauty. He loves us, he cares for us, he embraces us. And, and is that because he enjoys us? Absolutely. But it's not just that. It's because he wants to invite you into being the living stones. Being the one who loves and embraces and goes beyond that we can declare the praises of God. And he does this thing where he goes three times, remember where you would be, remember where you are, out of darkness into his wonderful life, light. Once you were not a people, you know, purposeless, separated, divisions. Now you're not just a people, now you are the people of God. Now you have this identity of participating in what God's doing. And the third time, once you had not received mercy. Well, God gave us life. He gave us perfect life. And if you ever screwed up once, you misused perfect life. Now, what's, what's the just penalty for me giving you something perfect and you messing it up? Well, I'm going to take it back. The just penalty is to take your life. And yet, once we had not received mercy, and now we have received mercy. We have received mercy, and the beauty is, I received mercy, I am loved, and not just for myself, that I can be a part of a chosen nation, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Remember, the priesthood who is reaching out, inviting people. So this is, I just think this is beautiful. I think it's lovely. I'd encourage you, meditate, rejoice, praise the Lord. But I also, I want to make it somewhat practical because I think 
I think we need to see this, and we need to see ourselves this way. And so I want to close with sort of three images on what this looks like to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood. This is the first image. It's last Sunday afternoon. Um, Some of you were there. Two years ago, a group of mothers at our church, probably particularly fitting on Mother's Day, said, we have experienced the love of the Lord. We want to share that love with mothers who might not have been expecting to be pregnant. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that what the Father's heart is? And the thing is that this isn't like sort of an ending, an ending thing. The beauty of the Father's heart is he wants to love through his body to bring more people into his body so that these mothers can love their kids in a beautiful way with God's love so their kids can love people with God's love. This is great. This is beautiful. This is what it looks like. Mission Knack, same way. This is a beautiful opportunity for us to love as Jesus loved. Sign up or your t-shirt will look like that. Uh, My next image is this. Um, This is Casey Watts. You probably um, worshipped with her as she's led in worship here. Uh, But this was Friday. I was actually observing at uh, the charter school, and she teaches fourth grade. And I don't, I, I want us to see being a royal priesthood, being a chosen people is not something that we just do when we're laying hands on and praying. This is something that we are. I go in and I watch Casey and she is gifted. She is loving. She is bringing the Father's love, that redemption with her into the classroom. She is loving unconditionally. She is blessing those kids. And I got to say, I'm thinking to myself, "Mm, my kids need to be in this classroom. Everybody's kids need to experience that kind of love, right? Um, And I just want to encourage you. This is something you don't leave behind. This is something you bring into your home. This is something you bring into your work. This is who we are. And this is the last image. It's fitting for Mother's Day. This is my mother. There is no way that you can do this more fully than with your own children and spiritual children. You have an opportunity, a treasured opportunity, to bless your children, to bless those you have influence in their lives, to bless them, to give them life, to introduce them to the Lord, to help them to come to the Lord, to crave that pure spiritual fruit, that pure spiritual food, that pure spiritual milk, and to invite them to share that pure spiritual milk with others. I love my children. Man, I hope they enjoy that pure spiritual milk. But I love them so much, I hope they get to share that pure spiritual milk. That's the beauty. And that's the beauty of Mother's Day, is we celebrate parenting the way the Lord intended it. Parenting in light of the redemption of Jesus Christ. We are no longer paralyzed, but we are set free because of Jesus' redemption. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord. I just get so thrilled when I think about the the kindness of your ways, the generosity of sharing your character with us. And I do pray that 
you would stamp it on us, write it deeply on our hearts that we would look more and more like you. You are so good. I thank you for putting mothers and fathers and perhaps even more spiritual mothers and fathers in this body. Raise us up, equip us to speak life into those we love. I praise you that we are no longer slaves to the power of sin and death, but that we have been redeemed to worship you and to belong. Amen.